was everyone's weekend? Uh, I heard a lot of people got sick this weekend. <laughs> Do you know? Yeah, I was playing a tournament in Mexico, and uh, like 15 athletes got food poisoning. So. Oh my god! Yeah, yeah I Luckily, saw Eric at the beach, and I was like, "Where's Gina?" And he's like, "She's playing." But I feel like you haven't played an international one in a minute. Yeah, no, I haven't. So it was kind of nice to um, get a taste of it again. And it's Car- that was Carly's first international oh, tournament cool. too. So she got to get so fun. Yeah. It was, I mean, Aguas Calientes is actually really But did cool you city. get sick? No, luckily okay. not. But did Carly? Uh, no, she was, she was borderline. Yeah, but there was a, um, a couple other U.S. players that... That's the worst. Got the bug. Yikes. <laughs> Montezuma's Revenge. <laughs> not a good place to be. Welcome back to the But On Her podcast. Today we have Stanford alum, All-American indoor volleyball player, Manhattan Beach hometown hero, and 2021 Summer Olympics gold medalist, Alex Kleidman. Welcome. Thank you. Yeah. Quite the intro. Thanks. <laughs> yeah, Alex, Um, I, I we brought this up yesterday of Kelly was looking up some facts about you and how you played in um, an ABP tournament in high school uh, with Kashi uh walmer who's our our manager and then also you and i played in yeah uh, it was actually our my, i think it was my first avp event i, I think i played in one other qualifier maybe before you because yeah do you remember stephanie barry yes yeah we played in one together too so oh, that's right yeah, yeah. Okay. but i never i never qualified no yeah we got our asses into us i'm pretty sure <laughs> but it was fun it was fun yeah Except for so, the memes yeah um but i think it's just really cool because i feel like uh personal story of alex and i is like we've always been on opposing teams since we were like 11 like club volleyball um even high school a little bit college um and there was one summer where we played on the youth national or the junior national team together and like yeah we really became friends and then ever since then you know it's been yeah so yeah it's been a um a really we, we got in trouble for having too much fun together yeah like, we couldn't we couldn't be pepper partners yeah. anymore because <laughs> the of coach that. split us up <laughs> but anyway i just i think it's been so amazing to kind of just see your progression of your career and obviously like attaining the ultimate dream of your gold medal, you know, is, is really cool. Um, but I guess first and foremost, we want to start off with talking about your um, newest change in your life is being pregnant. I know. So crazy. <laughs> How have you been feeling? I honestly, I've had a really easy pregnancy, but it's still like such a trip, you know, like I look in the mirror every day and I'm like, what is going on with my body? Oh my God, I'm pregnant. So it's like, like, yeah, I'm eight months pregnant, but I still have moments where I'm like, I can't believe I'm pregnant. And so, but it's really cool. It's amazing to think about what your body can do and that you can grow a human inside you. It feels like some sci-fi thing going on, but it's real life. Yeah. And um, you are having a, a boy, right? A boy. And tell us a little about the story about Teddy wanting a girl, though. Yeah. So <laughs> Teddy, my fiance, has wanted a girl like openly and outwardly said I want only girls I want two or three girls and I'm like well you know it doesn't really work like that and he I feel like he was trying to speak it into existence but I was like I feel like the universe is going to be like laughing at you from up above and being like "Mm, you're going to get boys so we did this gender reveal with a few of our closest friends and we cut into a cake and he's literally someone like saw him he was like crossing his fingers behind my back like as we were cutting into the cake because he wanted it to be a girl so bad and then we have like video footage of it, but we cut into the cake and it's blue and he's like, oh. he just like melts down. It's so funny. He couldn't even hide it. 
<laughs> um, and then you have like the baby room coming along and everything. We finally, it's finally turning into a nursery. Like a week ago, it was a blank room and everybody was asking me like, oh, is it ready? And I'm like, oh my God, I feel like such a failure. But now it's, we have wallpaper up, we have a crib, we have a dresser. So that's really exciting. Coming along. Do you have any names picked out? We have a list of like five names, but honestly, we're not sold on any of them. So we're hoping another name comes along that we're like, ooh, yeah, that's the one. And then I, I kind of want to talk about the whole motherhood aspect. What are some things that you really want to instill and like teach your, your child and kind of want to touch base a little bit too about like your, your mother too? Because I know that a lot of, you have an amazing relationship with your mom and I know right. that she's inspired you in yeah. a lot of ways. So um, I just kind of want to hear a little bit about that relationship and what you want to carry into your relationship with your child. Totally. Yeah, I mean... I've always thought my mom was an amazing mom, but now as I'm getting closer to it, I'm so lucky that she's so close by and that she'll be able to kind of like give me all the advice that I need. But um, Teddy keeps joking, like our son better be a go- like a golfer or left-handed pitcher. And I'm like, no, he has like, he gets to do whatever he wants to do. And honestly, like, that's really how I feel. I want him to find whatever he's passionate about and what he loves. And if that's sports, fine. Like if it's, art or like engineering or whatever. So, um, I just hope he finds his path and he's happy and obviously we're going to do everything we can to be loving and supportive. And I'm sure Teddy will make us all laugh along the way. We love Teddy. Yeah. Shout out to Teddy. I know. Everybody loves him. He's the glue guy. (laughs) He always says fun finds me, (laughs) which is true. true. I know it's so true. That's why I hate it. With your relationship with your mom, I, um, cause we all know that you're a cooking aficionado, right. a food, you know, novice and, um, you've been inspired not only by your mother, but a lot of what you've learned from playing overseas in Italy too. So talk about where it all stemmed from a little bit. Yeah. I mean, growing up, we definitely had good meals and my mom cooked like 28 days a month. I would say like we went out for special occasions growing up, but we ate most nights in and we always had dinner around the table as a family. But I was never like I loved eating, but I never really got into cooking. And I remember get like about to leave for college and I was like, shoot, I don't even know how to make anything. I was like, Mom, teach me how to make pasta and eggs, you know, the basics. But then it wasn't really till I went overseas and I got to eat all the Italian food. And I wasn't even a big Italian food person because I feel like pizza and pasta here are kind of like unless you go to an amazing restaurant, they're kind of average. But you just realize like the quality of their ingredients, like the history of their recipes, just the freshness of their food. And like, I fell in love with their food and their culture. And every time I tried something that I liked, I made someone teach me that recipe that like became a thing there. So I was able to come back and make the recipes that I love the most for the people that I loved. And so I really like started to love hosting and entertaining. And it just, I feel like it just morphed into this whole thing. Like it started from me, loving food to then being in countries where they had amazing food cultures and then me wanting to try it. And then just, I don't know. I like, I love craving a food and being like, okay, I'm going to make it so I can eat it. You know, whereas if you're limited to restaurants, it's not, you can't always find what you're looking for. So would you ever consider doing a, a cookbook or a cooking show? I feel like a cookbook would be so rad. I have a little bit of imposter syndrome about it because I'm like, I haven't gone to culinary school. There's people that know more than about food than me. So 
I don't know. Like there's a part of me that's like, I'm not qualified enough, but I also feel like I would love it so much. And like, I've tried so many interesting foods and I obviously have strong opinions when it comes to food. So it'd be fun to share. Your Instagram is basically your cookbook. I know. I get all your recipes from there. I drool. I'm like, I want this meal. Like, how do I get this meal? Yeah. I'm like, I don't even know if this is what the content that people want, but it's the content that they're getting. We We like it. I want want it. it. Please, more, please. 5% volleyball, like 80% food and like 15% other stuff. Is there an Italian chef that you look up to for your recipes? Um, Well, there's one food blogger. I think you know about him but his name's Nino and I found him during the pandemic and at some point I think we like started like DMing a little bit but like he has he's from Sicily and he has the most authentic recipes and it's really cool because in his highlights he teaches you like step-by-step video tutorial of how to make something so I love like seeing what he's making and trying to copy or emulate it or whatever but um I mean I follow so many food accounts it's like impossible to name them all would you say italians your favorite food to eat and cook or are you i feel like i'm the most comfortable cooking it because i lived there for three years and i feel like i learned a lot from them so i feel like i can cook it in a decently authentic way um but i love all types of food like i there's not one genre of food that I like and then everything else is like eh, like there's not one food that I don't like literally so I'll try anything your branzino is really good I know <laughs> we had a good branzino night yeah we did was good I also, we learned how to debone it <laughs> I also heard you make really amazing cookies oh yeah so yeah. every year we do like a cookie box my mom my sister and I we like go through and we like debate recipes <laughs> sounds so nerdy but we like go through a million cookbooks and we figure out like seven to ten recipes that we think are really special and that people are going to enjoy and then we prep I would say starting like three days in advance and we start making all the cookie doughs and then day of we just bake like back to back to back to back and you need at least a couple ovens because you're like you're you have one pan with like the cookie dough balls ready to go and like the minute that something comes out you put something back in because we like to deliver them fresh and like Mm -hmm. day of so it's a fun tradition it's like four thousand cookies in a day I don't know how many it is, but like this past year, my sister was gone. So my mom and I had to do it all. And my back was like killing me. How much it butter? Labor. You probably use so much butter. I, yeah. I really, sugar. Yeah. yeah, it's, yeah. I feel like I would have a Not tummy ache from eating all of But the I barely, dough. I barely ate any this year because I feel like I was working so hard. <laughs> you needed Maddie to help you out. I know. I did, I did freeze some cookie dough. So I'm like, I still have a little bit of cookie dough left over. And occasionally like I'll put like an eggnog cookie dough ball in the oven and like have like a random holiday cookie yeah I, I feel like you need to make this cookbook because you could be like the Chrissy Teigen of athletes yeah right? with yeah. your cookbooks you know such a great idea yeah and um cookbook. and like okay so if you had one recipe on the in the, the top of your head right now that would be like your highlight recipe what would that be Ooh. what would be the cover of your phone? yeah the like cover. people well the cover that's so hard but I feel like people know me for my risotto which is one of the first italian recipes i learned and like it's actually such a simple recipe and once you learn it then you can make it with any ingredient like you can do a mushroom risotto or a butternut squash or whatever last night i made a like a lemon risotto but um that was the first recipe i learned in italy and one of my friends taught it to me so that's like a really special one and everyone else loves it so that would definitely be one that's highlighted i don't know if it would be a cover recipe though but 
I don't know. Okay. I need to think about it. Where Where do we sit on sauces? Because I know sauces are a big deal in Romanian culture right. and cuisine. So what is it like for you? Dana's Romanian, by the way. I are. Yeah. Sauces like for... Anything. Anything. I mean, I feel like when it comes to Italian sauces, like you definitely can't skimp. Like if you're going to make like a ragu sauce, you got to start early, like let it simmer, let the flavors develop. Um, so not, not store-bought. No, oh, no. no <laughs> Never. No, no. <laughs> not Prego. I, <laughs> yeah. Trash. I try to make everything from scratch when I can. Like yeah. that's honestly my approach to cooking is just like, I, I can't remember what podcast it was, but it was like about nutrition and it was just saying, you can eat whatever you want as long as you make it yourself. And I feel like that really resonated with me because you're not going to put like two cups of oil in the pan. If when you see like what you're pouring in there, you're like, no, that's way too much. That's not healthy. So I feel like when you're cooking, everything's going to be moderately healthy and you're using real ingredients. So at that point, you don't really have to stress about how healthy is this? How many calories is this? Is this like you know, right for my diet or whatever. So yeah, my mom makes tamales every year oh, for Christmas. <laughs> I've had them. <laughs> They're pretty good. But watching the process of that and like, there's so much lard that goes into those. And I think my mom started to just um, grease her own bacon and then use that bacon yeah. grease as lard yeah. instead of just buying. So yeah, there's definitely, I, I like that. That's a good way to look at yeah. um, cooking. It does, it does take a lot more time and it's a lot more work, but it's definitely worth it. And I'm sure yeah. it tastes a lot better too. I don't mind the time. I mind the cleanup. So I'm always like, Teddy, okay, I cooked, you cleaned, right? Does he uh, take part in cooking too? He's like a good, he's a good sous chef. Oh, that's nice. Yeah. And he also is good at barbecuing. So if we're like barbecuing steak or chicken. Like that's his area. Yeah. His specialty. Yeah. That's cool. Any, uh, any cravings, any like strange, unique cravings teddy would say hot cheetos but i've always liked hot cheetos i just feel like i've had less self-control going into it i was like i'm not going to be that person that just trashes their body because you know you see people eating whatever and obviously you're growing like a baby so i want to nourish it and eat healthy but the first trimester i like i just had no self-control and i finally understand (laughs) why people eat the way that they eat but i was craving so many carbs i think you just get like I don't know if you get low blood sugar more easily or something, but I'd hit a point and be like, I need carbs right now. And then after the first trimester, it settled down. But I was hoping I'd have some aversion so that I wouldn't be tempted to eat like every single thing. But I've had literally zero aversion. So so Flamin' Hot's the only weird craving. I would say I'm eating a little bit more sweets than normal, but I always eat sweets. So I don't know. I want to shift gears a little bit here, but um, getting into more of like the Italy side of things with your wedding planning too. Right. Um, How's that been going? So originally we were supposed to get married this summer, but obviously since I'm pregnant, I am not trying to pop a baby out and get married like (laughs) two months later. And it just, it would be a lot. And I want to feel like myself enough to, you know, enjoy it and to feel, to celebrate it and be in the moment. So Um, We pushed it back to next summer, but it's the same venue in Lake Como that we were planning on. So it'll be really fun to drag all our friends out there and celebrate. That's awesome. Yeah. I've never been. (laughs) I haven't either. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, it's beautiful up there. I think uh, has has it been challenging to kind of wedding plan 
from the U.S. to Italy or? Well, we got a Italian wedding planner um, that somebody I know used. So I'm hoping that it'll go smoothly. To be honest, we haven't planned very much because it, it's still pretty far out. It's over a year. So she's like, I'll check back in in four or five months. I'm like, OK, so we'll see. Italian time. Yeah, <laughs> I know. Italians are always late. <laughs> Do you um, and you're also taking some Italian classes right now, right? I was. So I was I was. I had a tutor and I was taking classes twice a week on Zoom because I was going to Italy in fe- back in February and I wanted to be able to speak better than I did in the past. And I was really proud of myself for sticking with it for a few months, but then I, I pooped out. So I've been taking a break. But I think also just my energy right now and my focus is not where it, it normally is. So I'm just building in a little more rest time for myself right now. Yeah. What's a simple Italian greeting that you like to say? Ciao, tutto bene. Tutto bene. Tutto bene. Oh, I like that. I feel like then you, it's like it's like Sava in French, like Sava, Sava. So you can say like Tutto bene and you say like Tutto bene. It's like all is good, all is good. All is Gucci. How do you say that? <laughs> all is Gucci. Tutto Gucci. <laughs> Perfect. It's uh, it's very similar to Romanian. Oh, is it? Yeah, it's you know, ciao is the same yeah. greeting and oh, wow. c'è mai fatch. Oh, yeah. Fatch. It's really um similar to Portuguese too. Yeah. Because I, I played three years in Italy and I was embarrassed at how little I learned. But I think part of it was just because a lot of my teammates spoke English. So every time I struggled, they were like, oh, let's just talk in English. This is easier. And I'm like, no, but I'm trying to learn. And then I went to Brazil and hardly anybody spoke English. Like, I think I had two teammates and maybe one trainer. My head coach didn't speak any English. Most of my teammates didn't speak any English. So I was like, if I don't figure this out now, like I'm going to be sitting in my room for two years you know so I got a tutor right away and I just immersed myself in it and so I actually learned Portuguese way better than I learned Italian but then I feel like now my Portuguese is helping me learn Italian because they're so similar cool. yeah so. it's um it's a Latin language the origin so Italian French yeah. oh, I'm sorry but French, French I didn't feel like was similar to Italian yeah I studied that in high school and I feel like it didn't help me but yeah yeah, so we Romanians understand uh, Italians and Italians Romanians in terms of speaking and stuff. Oh, interesting! So interesting. Yeah. I didn't know that they're that similar. Speak English <laughs> and a little bit of broken Spanish. <laughs> you took some Romanian and a little bit of Romanian. Oh yeah. Bona ziua, Yeah, very good. That's what does that it. mean? It says hello. Bona ziua is like good morning. Good morning, good day, and then it's how are you? Yeah. You have such good like intonation when you speak. I feel like you would be fun to listen to oh, in another. Oh my god, no! <laughs> I try to really enunciate my foreign language. Yeah, I'm not. Good. I was not good at foreign language, so you doing I, Italian is. I'm not a... either. I have to try really hard at it. But you really work at it. Like I you, do, but yeah. it's. I'm not like naturally talented when it comes to languages. Mm-hmm. Some people are. I know some people really yeah. are. I think with Italian too. When I learned what I learned when I was over there was, you have to speak in their fluctuation yeah. or they don't understand you. Yeah. If you're just like, come stai. They're like, non capito. Like, yeah. I don't understand. You're like, ah, oh, come stai. Yeah. You know, like you have to, you use... almost have to sound ridiculous. Exactly. Like you have to use that like ridiculous Italian accent. And then they're like, oh, okay. Like oh it's, and then you feel kind of stupid while you're doing it, but then they understand you eventually. Kind of going back to like your indoor career, a little bit of volleyball here, but kind of talking about how you spent 12 years with the national team indoor with those three cycles and then making kind of the switch to beach like what was that decision process like right well I think honestly once I got to college like I just assumed I was on this indoor path and 
if I worked hard enough, like all my dreams would come true. And that's just not the reality of sports. Like it doesn't necessarily matter how hard you work. Like you're not entitled to winning, you know, and there's so much that has to go right for you to be able to, to win like a title or a championship or a league or whatever, you know, and some of that is luck too. And so, um, I was with the national team program for Beijing, London, and Rio. So I was basically on a roster of like the top 25, but I never made the final 12 for the Olympics. And obviously that's the main goal. And it's really disheartening to not make that, that roster. And I don't know. I remember getting cut from the Rio squad, like actually a a little bit more ahead of the Olympics than I had in the last two quads. And then I was playing overseas and I was like, what am I even doing out here if there's no Olympic dream, you know, and some people might be fine with that. But for my personality, like I just need like a really lofty goal to go after for it to feel worth it and to be away from my family. And like, I loved living and playing there, but it's, it's still a sacrifice, you know? And so I think in the back of my head, I was like, Oh, one day I'm going to try beach, you know, if this doesn't work out. And it kind of just came along sooner than I was expecting. Like I was hoping I would be successful with indoor first. And eventually I was like, maybe, you know, it's time to make the switch and get like a fresh start and just see how that, like, you know, how my game fits into the beach game. And, um, a lot of people were telling me, no, like keep playing indoor. You're still young, you know, your best years are still ahead of you, but for, I don't know, something in my gut was just telling me like, you got to just try it. And so I kind of just walked away from indoor overnight and came home, like, didn't really know what I was doing. I remember I met with you one time at source. I was like, Gina, like, how does this work? Like, how do you get partners? And, um, I, I had no idea what I was doing and I didn't have a plan. Like I didn't come to the beach and say, okay, I'm going to do this for this amount of time. And then hopefully get this. Like I just threw myself in it. I remember being like, I'm going to take a couple months when I get back from Brazil to just decompress before I start training on the beach. And I went to one practice and the next thing I know, I signed up for my first AVP for like five days later. So <laughs> I just jumped into it. Yeah, you really did. Basically like, playing indoor on the sand. Oh <laughs> Zero well, shots. So then what was your first like, so then you came on the tour 2017, right? 2017. And you I played rip- Huntington. Mm-hmm. I remember then, that. That was with Jace Harden. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Oh my gosh, really? Oh. Yeah. And then, so you, 2017, it was your rookie year. Then you get picked up by April and then you go on your Olympic qualifying run. Yeah. I mean, I played with a handful of partners in 2017 and it was like they were all better than me because they all were experienced and they knew the beach game. And I learned something from everybody that I played with. But I remember I ran into April. I mean, I'm sure you guys have heard the story, but I ran into her at Stagecoach and she had just broken up with Carrie and she needed a partner and she like kind of planted the seed I think she had had a couple beers. So like, I was like, did she really mean that? Like the next morning I woke up, I was like, did I dream that? Like, so, um, but she was like, you know, you know, get better first. And so that really lit a fire under my bum to get better that summer and to just train as hard as I possibly could. Cause I knew like, okay, if I get better enough, then she'll consider me as a partner. And so then I think in the fall, she trained with a few different players and I was the lucky winner. What was your motivation to kind of go all in and submerge yourself into making that Olympic run for beach volleyball? I think the Olympics were the motivation. Like I, I've just always wanted to reach the pinnacle of our sport. And I think for beach volleyball and indoor volleyball too, like the Olympics are it. I mean, for 
NBA, it's winning, you know, a championship and like in the pro league, it's not the Olympics, but for us, it's the Olympics. And so that's just always been such a driving force. And I feel like until I could say that I I had made it, it's like, there's something big box to be checked off still. And obviously, so you check the box off, right. Of getting a solid partner for that Olympic run. What were some other things that you guys did as a team or individually that kind of um, helped shape your pathway towards that? Well, I remember like one thing that left me feeling really unsatisfied on the indoor side is I just felt like I never really got to be the type of player that I knew I could be. And I, I never felt fully like myself or super comfortable just because you're in this big system, you know, like there's a lot of girls and you, I don't know, like it, it didn't really give me the space to be myself. And so I remember meeting with April and Nicole Davis, our um, sports psych, and just being like, I, I want to compete the way that I know how to compete in the way that's best for me. And I want to be like, let's be open and honest and like, be good partners and be there for each other and be able to be vulnerable. And like, we set that standard so early on that I feel like there was never anything that was kind of like left unsaid between us. And I think that was really a strength of ours is like, we were just we gave each other really honest feedback at practices, like after tournaments. And it was never personal. It was like, we knew we trusted that we both of us had the same goal, which was to qualify for the Olympics and eventually to win the Olympics. But, um, I think we just built this trust early on, like, okay, you be you, I'm going to be me. Like, we're both going to trust that we have the best intentions and like, we never look back. Yeah. I think that's a good mentality. Cause I think as women too, we can probably sometimes take things we're emotional beings and we can take things a little personally. So to have that, you know, um, that clean slate of honesty and and all that is really important for sure. Any, um, imposter syndrome there? Honestly, I think I really embraced the fact that I didn't know that much. And I knew that I had a lot to improve on and that there was like, there's just so much room for growth that it was almost liberating and freeing to be able to say okay I'm not very good and I know it and like teach me everything that you can and I was I felt like I was really receptive to April's feedback to Jen's feedback to Angie's feedback because I just knew like I'm just starting out you know and there's so much stuff that I don't know and so I almost think that that helped me just like the pressure subsided a little bit I mean I had the pressure of feeling like I didn't want to let April down but besides that I was like like I'm starting out like there's a lot I don't know. I'm just going to go for it and I'm going to learn as much as I can and like see how far it takes me. Yeah. You allowed yourself to to be vulnerable and, and live in the moment then. Yeah. Which is amazing. I, I wanted to ask a little bit more about um, some of the, the menstrual cycle coaching that you, or I don't know exactly what you would call it, but the person that you worked with that helped you during your Olympic run with, um, you know, helping manage, balance, learn more about your cycle and how you can train and probably diet stuff too that's related towards it um, totally yeah. I think that's something that most women don't learn about and should because it's really important so um, yeah I kind of wanted to hear about that yeah I mean women's health is just something I've become really passionate about like not necessarily on purpose but just through my own like personal journey I feel like I've learned so much and I've like there's so much information that's not common knowledge to girls and women and it should be and Um, I was on birth control for like 13 years starting in high school. And I feel like a doctor just like said, here, take it and never looked back. And 
I mean, I could go on to a whole other tangent about why birth control should not be, you know, prescribed so easily. But basically, I found myself wanting to get off the pill. But every time I did, I got cystic acne, like my body just totally rejected trying to go off. And um, so then I think it was like a couple years before the Olympics. But basically, my agent was like, oh, there's this company, Orico, and they're doing this program with female athletes about how to basically train in sync with their menstrual cycle. And that really intrigued me because I had already been listening to like a lot of podcasts to try to figure out, you know, how to be healthier, how to support my body, not just anybody, but like a female body, you know, and I was listening a lot about birth control and the effects it had on your body, but I was always afraid to go off right before the Olympics because I was just like, I need professional help. Like I, I don't want to take this huge risk with my body while I'm also under so much stress and trying, you know, to perform at my best. And so it kind of was just very serendipitous the way like the timing of it all. And so I got hooked up with this hormonal doctor in London and she basically helped me transition off of the pill. She like gave me all this diet advice about how to eat according to like the part of your cycle you're in. So like whether you're in your luteal phase or whatever, like there's different nutritional advice. And then also even just the way you lift, like there's certain weeks of your cycle that you're more injury prone. So it was like, don't try to max deadlift this week, you know, like take it a little easier if you can. And also I learned like there's a huge link between injuries and birth control. And I feel like for athletes that should be common knowledge. And I feel like a lot of people don't know that. So there was just a lot of things that I learned that now I feel a little bit like obligated and like passionate about sharing and spreading that information because I just think it's like it's such vital, basic, essential information that everyone should know, you know? Yeah. I mean, we were talking about this right before you walked in the room today and we're like, isn't it amazing how as women we only feel good like one I know. out of our whole cycle? I know. But I guess I, what's like a couple pieces of knowledge you could share with us and our listeners as far as like one thing with each state of the four stages. Well, I, I ended up like writing down for each like week of my cycle, what foods, um, so it's like called cycle syncing. So that's one thing that I started doing when I was going off the pill. It just helps support your body because you're basically on like a 28 day cycle with your body. And so you have to kind of think about that when you think of you know, working out and recovery and food. And so I would keep these, I would make these lists of like, okay, this week I should be trying to incorporate these foods. This week I should be incorporating these foods. And I would keep it in my glove compartment in my car. So when I would go grocery shopping, I'd like pull it out and be like, okay, I need to try to have like bell peppers this week or, you know, like more leafy greens or more fish or whatever. And so that was just a way that I could kind of cycle sync and make it fit into my lifestyle. I wasn't like crazy strict about it where I'd only eat the foods on that list, but I was just trying to make a lot of little changes that would add up to meaningful changes. How would you navigate then when you were traveling overseas? Like, were you still, I mean, I, I wasn't so strict about it, but, and actually when I first went off the pill is right at the beginning of COVID. So I was home a lot and I had a lot of control over my diet and things like that. But you know, I try to do it within reason. If it's going to cause me stress, like it's probably not going to help at that point. So I think you should do a cookbook and I think you should do a book on this. Yeah. Women's health. Yeah. yeah women's health. But that's like another and thing that I feel it. like imposter syndrome about because like I'm not a hormonal, like 
I'm not an endocrinologist. I'm not a specialist on this, you know? So yeah, but you could share your personal experiences for sure, what you've learned and for sure. Um, with that person that you were working with or with that company, did you find, was it just general knowledge as far as all women and these are the stages of the cycle or was it like very independent upon your hormones and results? Well, I was lucky because I had like, I would have zoom sessions with her every two weeks. So I check in about how I'm feeling and what's working and what's not working. So I got very individualized advice, but I think there are a lot of, um, programs that are kind of developing. Like I know, for example, there's a book, the woman code, which is like where I would recommend everybody starts like reading that book. It changed just <laughs> at least writing know, it, down. Write it down. <laughs> it just, no, it, it really did change my life. And it like opened my mind to so many things that I didn't even realize were factors and in, in, in my health. So, um, but I was actually talking to the woman who founded it because she knows that I read it and that it like made a big impact on me, but she's relaunching her app and it soon it's going to have where like you plug in all your symptoms and it's almost like having like a virtual doctor and they're going to be able to advise like different supplements or different diet advice or I don't know like they're going to be able to kind of tailor it towards you and not just like oh you're a female this is probably what you need that's really cool yeah I'm gonna have to so look I'm excited that for it yeah yeah I mean every body <clears throat> individual being is very different from everybody else you know, my symptoms are my symptoms and everything else is different. There are some things that are common, but like a majority of the time we're just separate. It's different. Totally. You know, so that's interesting. Yeah. yeah. Or then we all get synced up and have the same cycle. <laughs> I know. That would be fun. <laughs> or not fun. <laughs> yeah, or not. So you get this Olympic gold medal, right? And I feel you guys played in a few tournaments after that. And I, I want to ask, like, kind of like, at what point did you guys finally get to enjoy, you know, reflect and just really process that ultimate goal that you had finally achieved? Right. And how did you do it? How did we reflect? And like, and just like, enjoy. Oh, yeah. It was such an amazing moment, but there was like no breathing time after the Olympics. We came right back and we had Manhattan AVP. And I remember just feeling like, so exhausted. We, we did have a little celebration, but, um, I just remember going into Manhattan and being like, I'm so tired, but I want to win more than ever because I know that these are all the people that have been watching and supporting us over the last few years. And it was really important to showcase to them why we won and that we were deserving of it. So we really had to like push through so much mental and physical fatigue. Um, and then I think we had Chicago and there was like some lingering injuries. And then we went to Sardinia for world tour finals and we got third, but it was still just like pushing through this crazy fatigue. I think everybody thinks that the Olympics come at the end of your season and it just, that's not how it is. Like it's kind of right in the middle. So I would say like, it wasn't really until the season was over that we were able to like sit back and relax and celebrate it and enjoy it. But I mean, it was really cool to come home and play in front of everybody, but I just, I think it was like really challenging at the same time. Yeah, I can only imagine. And so what did you do to finally celebrate after the season was over? Um, well, I went on a vacation. So after Sardinia, I met my mom and sister in Paris and we did like a week or a week and a half in Paris and just traveled, shopped, ate everything, drank a lot of wine. That's perfect. Yeah. I have one question before we close. Did you, at what point did you know you were going to win the gold medal or did you just, 
I honestly don't think I ever like looked very far ahead. I was, we were very present during the Olympics, which I think worked to our advantage. I do remember, I think it was like in the second set of the finals being like, oh my God, we're going to win the Olympics. And then they served me and I shanked the ball and I was like, Alex, like back to, <laughs> back to the present. And it just goes to show like how important being focused on like the present and that that point is because the minute I started to take like a broader view and perspective, it just, it messed me up. And so then, and then I remember I lost like a few points and I was like, oh my God, Alex, like get back in the zone. You didn't win yet. So, um, but I remember having this thought of like, oh my God, we're about to do this. It was crazy. And you did it. So cool. Yeah, that's amazing. Yeah. I have a question. Who is the most, this is a completely off topic. <laughs> I just need to know who is the most famous person in your contact list? Oh my God. I don't know. If you, okay. Yeah. It sounds like I, you have a few. Rank them. Whoa. <laughs> I don't have a few. I'm trying to think. She's got five. <laughs> I don't, I'd have to think about, or like go through it. Any other athletes, famous athletes? Singers. Well, Taylor Swift. <laughs> well, okay. The most famous person that's DM'd me was Amy Schumer during the Olympics. Oh, yeah, oh that's God. right. Oh, yeah. That was really cool. And she was like, just so vocal about supporting me in April. And it kind of came out of nowhere. It wasn't like somebody was like, hooked us up and we were chatting or whatever. Like she just started posting about us and I actually got a DM on the day of the finals and she's like on a farm and she's like filming a bunch of goats. And I'm like, what the F is she sending me right now? And she's just like panning around the farm and she's like, y'all are the goats. <laughs> and like That's all the video was. And I have it saved like on my phone, but it's so funny. And she was following me in April. And then I was like, oh, she for sure unfollowed us by now. But she like still looks at my stories sometimes. I'm like, oh, I feel kind of cool still. That's that's pretty cool. Wow. Yeah. that That's a story. That's awesome. Yeah. So I have that. I like I was like, I need to save this video before it disappears. Yep. So we're we're nearing the end. I wanted to ask you this question, which is how do you take a bet on yourself or how have you taken a bet on yourself? Well, I think honestly, switching to beach was like one giant bet on myself. I mean, everyone was telling me not to do it and that it was too much of a risk. And I think it just goes to show when you believe in yourself and when you put everything you have into something like that is the most powerful way of showing up, you know? And so I think I bought in and that's all that really mattered. And I think just that conviction and that self-belief is so important. So I would say like just taking that leap of faith and jumping into the beach game and not knowing what was going to happen like that was my way of being like I believe in myself and I can do it and then the last piece here is um I'm going to open the the mic and the floor to you if there's anything on your heart or mind that you want to share with us here in the room or with our our listeners I don't think so I mean this is fun like I mean I'm super close with Kelly and yeah. Gina so this was just felt like a cool conversation yeah, thanks for having me I wish we had more uh, a couple more hours I know no, we'll we were to just be back like, on. we should do a cooking show we should yeah we'll go to your house and cook I know Sorry, I derailed that plan. Oh, it's all good. We're going to make it happen. Though. Yeah, we yeah. should. And this is the Bet on Her podcast. Wait. And cut. <laughs> Boom. So cookbook. Official. She's making a cookbook. <laughs> I'm going to keep that in the recording.